Amen. Woo. What a blessing to be compared to Caleb. You know, his name means rabid dog. <laughs> I love it. I think he's like God's original rough rider. You know, like, where are my dogs at? You know, if you're anybody familiar with DMX, if not, uh, then uh, if you are, then uh, you need to repent. I'm just kidding. Glad to be here. I've been nervous ever since Fred asked me to preach at his church, and there's one reason for that. I have an affectionate nickname that I gave to Pastor Fred because every time I see him, I'm with a bunch of pastors, and Pastor Fred is always the sexiest dressed pastor in the room. So I thought, man, I'm going to have to figure out how to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more swag going to preach at City Life, you know. I thought, man, I need, I need to figure something out. So I got my skinny jeans on. <laughs> yeah? yeah? Y'all can't see in the back? Hold on. You see that? You might say, those aren't too skinny. Yeah, they are to me. So um, <clears throat> I told my wife, I said, you know what, baby? I think I need to go buy a scarf. And she said, honey, you don't wear scarves. I said, why not? She said, because you don't have a neck. So <laughs> I, I realized, but are there any scarves in here tonight? I see a couple scarves. Yeah, all right, yeah. Vanessa rocking a scarf. I see it. Okay. Man, y'all look good. Y'all are a good-looking church. You guys are a cool church, too. You got a youth pastor named Juice. <laughs> juice. I just want to go just dap Juice up. Just when I hear that name, what's up, Juice? Whoo. Juice. I'm going to go back to my church and change our youth pastor's name to, like, Red Bull or something like that, you know? Juice. I love it. Awesome. Man, y'all look good. Man, y'all are a good-looking church, man. Whoo. You're looking really good. How you doing? What's up, girl? What's your name? Everybody's my wife, Jennifer. Say hi, Jennifer. All right. Good deal. Good deal. I want to talk to y'all tonight about that, about, about looking, you know, not necessarily how you're looking, but where we're looking. That's what I want to talk to us about tonight, where we're looking. See, because tonight I just wanted to hit on this idea that where we look is where we go. And what you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, um, real quick, let's just look at this uh, opening passage of Scripture. I want us to just read. It'll be up on the screen, Hebrews 12. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and if you have a Bible, uh, you can read it, and if you have a little iPhone or a smartphone or whatever, you can pretend to read it while you text. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Read the Bible. All right, let's go to Hebrews 12, and let's just read through this, and, and I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, which is our life verse for tonight. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or some of y'all's translations will say the author and perfecter of our faith, or the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who suffered, endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a, kind of a passage that God has put in my heart for, for many years, and, and as, I, as I have an opportunity, and I asked uh, Pastor Fred what it would be that he may want me to preach about this evening, and, and he said, man, just your heart message, and I, you know, that to me is, is just something that I think all of us could just benefit from, from diving into a little bit further. This passage of Scripture, uh, it's been revolutionary to me in my walk with God, and, and it's really helped me understand some things. And I think the reason it has is because God has just, has just really shown me that sometimes we're just maybe just focused on the wrong thing in our walk with him. Sometimes we're just, you know, we, we mean the best, but sometimes we get so focused in the wrong direction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that to you in a bit, uh, that we forget to focus in his direction. And we're going we're gonna to get through that, and I'll tell you where I learned this from. I, I have one friend who uh, used to be a professional 
bull rider. Now, um, you would, in fact, I have a picture of a bull rider here. That's not my friend. That's a famous bull rider. My friend wasn't so famous as a bull rider. But I asked him, I said, you know, Ron, how do you get into riding bulls? What on earth would captivate you to get on the back of a 2,500-pound angry animal that they purposely aggravate? They do things to aggravate these animals even more. It has horns, and it's a sport. You know, they, they get the bull as angry as possible, then they open the thing and say, okay, hang on for eight seconds. And he did this by choice. I said, well, you know, he says, I said, well, how do you get into that? He goes, well, the first thing you do is you go to bull riding school. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. To me, school involves some level of intelligence. You know, they have school, you know, there are bull, people who bull, ride bulls will go to school. And uh, he's a smart guy. I was just kidding around with him. But uh, he says, yeah. And I said, well, what do they teach you at bull riding school? Like, hang on? You know, he said, he said, you know, Freddie, uh, the number one rule of bull riding school, the first thing that they teach you is you never look, you never put your eyes, never put your focus in front of the bull. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, any, any bull riding school that you go to, the very first thing they're going to teach you is when you're, and you can even see in this picture, see how he's looking a little bit to the right there? He's not looking, oh, you can't really see his eyes, but you see how his head is turned to the right? There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, and the reason is simply what we just said, because where you look is where you go. And he said that that's what they teach you in bull riding. First lesson, never look in front of the bull, because when you get bucked off, and you will get bucked off, where your eyes are pointed, your head is pointed, and where your head is pointed, your body will fly. Where you look is where you go. I said, that's great. I'll remember that next time I ride a bull. You know, uh, <laughs> God kind of spoke to me through that, and he said, you know, Freddie, that's life. That's life, because where your eyes are pointed, your mind is going to be fixated. And when your mind is fixated, your life will go. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, uh, we got over here in uh, Luke chapter 11, 34. What does Jesus say? He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. You know, uh, uh, maybe a, another way to say that would be Jesus saying, hey, where you look is where you go. You see, when we get our minds fixed on something, it's because first we put our focus on something, and then everything else follows our focus. Now, the interesting thing about our eyes, and I, and I think God designed it like this for a reason, is that everything else in our, all of our other senses besides our sight can be... Um, Focused on multiple things. For example, during worship, your ears, you could hear multiple things, couldn't you? Your poor kids that are sitting here worship, they could hear my voice and the band, and it's a big contrast, I'll tell you that, you know. You can hear multiple things. If the person next to you lifted their hands in worship, you can smell multiple things, amen? I mean, you could smell all kinds of stuff. You know, that's one of the things that we love about eating. You get all the senses and, all, you know, your, 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 your smell is attached to your, you know, your tongue. And it's just, it's wonderful. That's why when you have a cold, nothing tastes good, right? You can smell all the aromas and all those things. You can taste multiple things. In fact, often, like, you know, if you enjoy, like, a, a, a nice coffee or, or, or cheese or something, you know, they talk about moving it to different parts of your palate because you get different tastes. But you know, you can only truly focus, I mean, really focus on one thing at a time with your eyes. I'll give you, I gotta, I'm kind of short, Fred, so I gotta come up here. Do me a favor, just put your hand out in front of you, just like this, and stare at the tip of your finger, and line it up with where I'm at so you can see kind of behind me, you can see me standing here. I think you guys are number one, too. I just wanna say that. Um, 
Now do me a favor, real quick, I want you to stare at your fingernails. Some of y'all are thinking, oh, I need a manicure so bad. All right, no, pay attention. Stare, I'll stay still, make it easy, sorry, it's hard for me to stay still. Stare at the tip of your finger, look at it. I mean, really look at it, is there dirt in there, you know, that kind of thing. Now, just look at me. Now stare back at the tip of your finger. Now do both. You can't. If you can, you're like one of those lizards, you know. <laughs> you're not designed to. You can only focus, you can only fix your eyes on one thing. Now, what does it mean to fix our eyes on something? Fix our eyes on something isn't to just notice something walking by. Fixing our eyes, when you look at the Greek here, it's like you're drowning and you see a boat coming by to rest. Your eyes are going to be fixed on that boat. You know what I'm saying? That's like that I am completely locked in and engaged to that one thing. So Jesus tells us, he says, fix Lock your eyes, engage wholeheartedly the focus of your life on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I think that those word choices are interesting. Why? Because when we are fixated on Jesus, our faith is increased. It's perfected because we say, look, I am staring at him and nothing else is getting in the view of that. And, I, and if it tries, I, all I can see is how big he is. But, you, you know, when Hebrews 12, 1 says this, it says, since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. Because there's things that entangle us that aren't necessarily viewed as sin. You know what I mean? It says throw that off and throw that off. And then it, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us how. It doesn't say fixing your eyes on your sin. It doesn't say fixing your eyes on an accountability plan, and accountability is very important. I'm not trying to dismiss that. It doesn't say fixing your eyes on uh, how often and how much and how long you can cry. It doesn't say that. It says fixing your eyes on what? On Jesus. On the Savior, not the problem. On the solution, not the situation. Fixing. You can only see it, and that's all you can focus on. Now, there's other stuff. When we were choosing what to focus on, we could still see that the stage was, like, blue and purple. I love y'all's lights, by the way. Sorry, I have that adult ADA. Oh, well, look at that. Who's that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you can see other stuff. I mean, you know, right, when you were fixing on your, your, your cuticle, you could still see that there was a stage up here and that I was standing up there and, there, you know, there was a blob up there with a black sweater. You know, you could kind of see. So, so life, is, God doesn't say ignore life. He doesn't say, okay, well, you just stare at me and nothing else will happen. Don't worry about that. God never said that. He said, it doesn't matter what's going on. You fix on me and the rest will take, I'll take care of the rest. Remember to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. How's that work? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Where we look is where we go. You know, um, this kind of, I was really reminded of this one time because when I was a kid, a friend of mine named Matt invited him and his family got a jet ski. Anybody ever ridden an old school jet ski? I'm not talking about these little mini boats that they have now, you know, where you could, like, Fred and Vanessa and the whole family can fit on it. You know, it's like a little, little hovercraft boat looking thing. No, I'm talking about the old school 1980s jet ski. Where you, it had this little like thing in the front, and you actually had to start on your knees. And if you stood up, you had you, you know you had to like you had to like um, go like this. You know, it's like almost like lifting a car hood. You know what I mean? 
and they had to throttle over here, and you're like, and you actually had to stand up. You actually had to work, you know. Now we got like these Cadillac Sea-Doo's, like the SUV of the water, you know what I mean? Well, back in the day, we had like the little scooter, you know what I mean? And so we had to like work. And I remember my friend Matt got one, a brand new one. His family got one. I was probably six or seven years old. And they invited my family to go to this little lake in North Carolina where we lived at the time. And the goal, we we're all going to go ride the jet ski. So my older brother, he's a couple years older than me, who I always wanted to be just like. My older brother, he gets his turn on the jet ski. And my brother comes across the water. I mean, he goes out of sight because we're in this lake and there's, it's surrounded by woods. He goes out of sight, can't see him. Well, then he comes zipping by. Now, this isn't the 80s. All right, summertime, so we used to get the stuff called sun-in. Anybody remember sun-in, anybody? Hey, you're dating yourself, right? And we would spray that stuff all in our hair. Why? Because we wanted to look like Crockett. Anybody remember Crockett, Miami Vice, Crockett and Tubbs, right? And so here comes my brother, and he would put enough sun-in in that his hair would turn yellow. I would put enough sun-in that my hair would turn orange. And this is what happens when you grow up using sun in, just FYI. But anyway, so here's my brother, and it was like a scene from Miami Vice. He's coming across the water on this jet ski, standing up, full throttle. And we all had mullets. You remember the mullet, right? So his mullet is flapping. And he does this. He looks over at us, and he waves. And I could hear the theme song to Miami Vice playing in the background. As my brother, I was like, oh, he's so cool. So then it was my turn to get on the jet ski, and when I am ready, I'm like, he might be Crockett, but I can be Tubbs, okay. So I get on this jet ski, and I'm just like, man, I can't wait. And my mom, my, my mom's a little Hispanic lady, a little like five foot tall. She goes, mijito, you, you stay on your knees, okay? You don't stand up. And like the music to Miami Vice just faded. Uh, you know, I was like, turn into Sesame Street, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? So I'm arguing with my mom, and she's like, no, you stay on your knees like this. And she's trying to show me. I'm like, mom, no. And she's like, oh, okay, then don't go. So, okay, I got my plan. I'm going to stay on my knees. Well, that was getting boring real quick, if you know what I mean. So I, I kind of went out of sight. I remember the lake had this little lip with, with trees, and so I went around it, and I knew they couldn't see me. <laughs> I'm picturing Miami Vice, right? So I stood up, and I full throttled this thing. And I'm like, I remember my brother flying by. I want to fly by. But the only problem was he was flying by like, hey. I was flying by like, wah, like oh, ah, ah. And all I see is everybody on the beach standing up. And they're all running like this. And I'm like, ah. And they're like, no. And I'm like, ah. And I, I mean, it was just all a blur. You know what I mean? And they're all just chasing, like running parallel with me down the, the little strip of beach there and pointing and pointing and doing this. And, and finally I turn, and right in front of me, about from here to that wall, is the woods. <laughs> I've got this thing full throttle, and I froze. All I could see was those big, huge trees and that bank racing at me as fast as possible. And it's all a blur. And, and I, don't, I didn't hear anything. I didn't think anything. I was just, all I could see was those trees. And they were racing at me. And here I am, full throttle. I mean, all the way open. And I hit the bank full speed. And there was a log on the bank. And I hit it and launched into the woods. Yes. I believe that was my first experience ever with an angel that saved my life. I think there's an angel with a broken wing that's going to smack me when I get to heaven, you know. So you remember that trick, the, 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 the woods that day, you know. 
But somehow I lived. My family had to, like, go through woods to find me. They finally, I don't know how long it was. I, like, my head, I really believe an angel shoved my head underneath that thing. And my entire body was covered in cuts except for my head. They, I sat there on this smoking jet ski until they crawled through the woods and they got me out. And they, they pulled me, and when they pulled me out, they, they took me to the hospital and they're asking me the whole time, Freddie, why didn't you just let go? Why didn't you let go? And I said, I don't know, I was scared. And they're like, Freddie, there was water all around you. All you had to do was let go. I said, I know, but all I could see was the trees. That's all I could see were the trees. You know, in Hebrews 12, this verse, God has reminded me, like, vividly of that, that experience I had. And he said to me, Freddie, you know, that's what my church does all the time. He's like, man, they just, uh, my love is surrounding them like a lake. And if they'll just let go, I will catch them. I'll deliver them. But sometimes you and I, and I'm saying you and I because we all do it sometimes, right? We get so fixated on those trees, on those giants in our land, on those things. And we don't have a plan. We don't know how to avoid it. We're not, we don't know what the answer is. And the answer is all around us the whole time saying, just let go. Just let go. And we're racing full speed at what we're staring at instead of letting go and landing in what is surrounding us, which is the grace and the goodness of God. Where we look is where we go. So, you know, this, this kind of shows up in so many different ways, you know. But I think about Peter. I think, you know, we make a lot of fun of Peter. It's easy. I'm so glad, one, I'm glad that they quit writing the Bible. I don't want my stories in there, you know. But poor Peter, he gets picked on a lot. If you've ever read the story of Peter walking on water, you know that Peter did something kind of interesting and then something kind of goofy. A lot of times we focus, especially pastors, we focus on, like, the goofy part. Oh, well, if he had just, you know, he fell in the water, you know. But let's just read a couple verses from that story. Because before he falls in the water, something pretty amazing happens. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They look out, they see Jesus in the middle of the night. He's walking across the water to them, right? And, and uh, Jesus says to them, oh, I'm sorry, it says, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, an interesting thing here is that it says they cried out in fear. Crying out in fear is not like, oh, is that a ghost? You know, these were seasoned fishermen. The storm was so bad that they were terrified. The Bible tells us in another book that they were they were fighting with the oars the entire night. It's the third watch, which is like two or three in the morning. So they've been out to sea for like eight hours just trying to survive, just trying to get across the lake, and the storm is so bad that they're in the caught in the that these are guys who grew up on the water. Let me tell you something. If you're ever in a boat with people who are seasoned, expert fishermen, and they're worried, it's time for you to pray. So they're out there in this storm. They're exhausted. They're worried. They're anxious. They're tired. It's like 3 in the morning, and they see some dude strolling across the water. It's not a casual, oh, it's a ghost. Look, it's like, that's a cry out in fear. Like, ah. And that's what the Bible says happened, right? And it says immediately Jesus said to them, hey, hold guys, relax. It's me. Relax. Take courage. And, and what is, don't be afraid. And only one of them says anything, right? Peter is the only one who says anything. He's always quick to speak, right? He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
he's in the same boat as the rest of the guys. And he's the only one who's saying, okay, hold on. That's Jesus? I mean, we just freaked out. But that's Jesus. Okay, if you could do it, I want to try it. What if more of the church said that? Jesus, if you could do it, I want to try it. Your word says that we would lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. If you did it, I want to try it. You said we'd do even greater things. If you did that, then I want to try that. Supersize me. What if we lived like we truly believe that? I think some of us do, amen. I think we're there. I think we're getting there, and I think we're going there. And I think some of us just needed to hear that we can experience that. I don't know about you, but there's areas of my life where, man, I'm, oh, hey, hey, hallelujah, I can walk on water over here, and I get over here and say, ah! And I'm still learning. I need to learn how to get this faith over here, right? Peter's the only one that gets out of the boat. And then what happens? <laughs> Come, he said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. If you, if you just stop right there, if the story stopped there, we would all get to heaven and be like, I want a chest bump with Peter. Man, he is the man. Peter is the man. But see, the cool thing about God, he, he always makes sure to explain the strengths and the weaknesses of humanity. So Peter's the only guy out of the boat. But then, then, then so that Peter maybe didn't get too full of himself instead of full of Jesus, right? What happens? It tells us that he took his eyes off Jesus. It says when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, right? He be, beginning, how did he sink? Because he was here, he was staring at his cuticle, which is Jesus, right? He was staring at Jesus, inviting him to the water, and then something happened. He took his focus off of that and started looking at all that. You see what happened? Because you can only focus on one thing. We've got to pick what it is. So he's fixing his eyes on Jesus. He's walking in the impossible I don't know about you, but I've never been to a pool party and seen somebody walk across the water. I've never done a baptism and the guy just couldn't sink, you know. I've never seen that. Have you? G Peter joins Jesus in the impossible. He's walking in the impossible. How many of us have an area of our life where we need to join Jesus in walking in the impossible? Because it's all right here. It's right here. It tells us right here how we're going to get there. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then he does something just, just Peter-ish, right? He does something Freddy-ish, right? He fixed his eyes on Jesus, but then he fixed his eyes on the wind, on the storm. And where he looked was where he went. He went from Jesus to the trees that were racing at him, and all of a sudden he falls in. I love the grace of God in the story, though. The grace of God doesn't leave him in his failure, does it? Jesus didn't say, man, you took four steps. Now you need to figure out how to get back up on the water. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, Peter, if you repent, if you spend enough time at that altar, I'll pull you out of this water. The grace of God met Peter on the waves and in the waves. He reaches down, he pulls him up, and then he says, hey, man, why did you doubt? Dude, you're the only disciple that made it a few yards on the water. Why did you doubt? We know why he doubted. Because his eyes moved from being fixed on Jesus to being fixed on the, the storm. And I'm just curious tonight, where are our eyes? Are they fixed on Jesus or fixed on the economy? Are they fixed on Jesus or fixed on, on the problems that we're facing that we don't have an answer for? We say, well, it's just impossible. How do I do that? 
It's all right here. How do we do this? Uh, you know, I think this, uh, this idea of just where we're focused tends to plague so many things in our life. Juice, I was in youth ministry before, and I love this conversation, man. I love this conversation. I'm sure you've had it. Uh, if you're in here, I'm not asking you to stand and testify. But, you know, hey, Pastor, uh, yeah, me and my girlfriend, we're, you know, we're dating. She's cool. She loves Jesus, too. So do I. We're just wondering, how far can we go? I mean, I mean we don't want to sin, but, you know, uh, how far can we go? Right? And if any Christian is in here, whether you're single or whatever, you know, if you've ever been in that spot where you're trying to honor God with a relationship and you're not married, it's a legitimate question. I've asked the question to, like, all my youth pastors, you know what I mean? I just want to know, is it, is it wrong to cuddle? Can we cuddle? Would Jesus cuddle? You know? You got to leave, you know, a foot of space for the Holy Spirit, right? But can we, can we long arm cuddle? Okay, what if when we're cuddling, we decide to snuggle? If cuddle isn't sin, what about snuggle? You say, what's the difference between cuddle and snuggle? Snuggle starts with an S and it ends with an E. We're almost there. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? The problem with snuggle, right, the problem with snuggle is that it leads to trouble. And trouble leads to bubble, right? And bubble leads to dad shooting somebody. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not, that doesn't rhyme with bubble. I'm sorry. I was thinking about my daughter for a second. Uh, but you, we play the, the Christian game, right? We, we, okay, if I can cuddle, can I snuggle without trouble? Because I don't want a bubble. Right? And I think what I've discovered, and we can apply that. I picked on, you know, the young single, but we can apply that to any area of our life where we're saying, how close to sin can I get without falling? It's the wrong question. The wrong question. Maybe the question should be, how close can I get to Jesus so that it's not an issue? How close can I get this relationship to Jesus so we don't have to think about sinning, defining our relationship? Where we look is where we go. So when we're dancing around the fire of sin, we're saying, you know what, I need to pray this, this weekend at church that I don't fall into that sin, and I need to make sure I, I, I touch base with my accountability partners to make sure I don't fall into that sin, and I need to set up these filters against that sin, and I need, where, 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 what is my life revolved around? It's still revolved around sin. And at some point or another, guess what? I'm going to grab a hold of that sin again. Why? Because where I look is where I go. And now the intention was pure. I wanted purity. I wanted victory, right? I wanted freedom. I think it's amazing that Paul says, I did not know sin until I knew the law. You know, we can practice this in our children's ministry right now. If you went in there and you said, nobody in this children's ministry is allowed to touch this toy. Every kid in there would be like, oh, that toy right there? <laughs> did you mean this toy or that toy? This, I mean, this one? Oh, oh. Touch the toy. Well, I touched it once. I might as well play with the toy. It's my toy. Why is that? I used to do that with my kids. I would, You're not allowed to take a shower at night. But, Dad, I really wanted to. Okay. Then I realized I can't do that. I'm teaching them rebellion, so I don't want to, you know. Isn't that amazing? It's like all we can think about. My associate pastor tells a story about when he was growing up, there was this sign on one of the neighbor's yards that said, don't spit on my grass. And so all the teenagers in the neighborhood would walk by. No one ever thought about spitting on his grass till they saw the grass and they saw the sign. 
He said you would walk past that grass and your mouth would begin salivating. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I don't know what area of our lives it is, but man, you know, I'll say, okay, well, Freddie, you know, we can't just say let's just forget sin. I agree. Because sin is important. Sin, sin is huge. Sin cost Jesus every stripe he took, every beating, every lashing. Sin is a huge deal to God. So I'm not saying, we, oh, let's just ignore sin. Let's just preach love in Jesus. What I'm saying is our focus needs to be our Savior, not the sin struggle, and we will see walking in impossible. And if you're here now, you say, well, I don't agree with you, Freddie. Okay. You, we can agree to disagree. And I'll just ask you to ask yourself a question. I ask myself all the time when I say, well, I don't know how I feel about that. I ask myself this. Well, Freddie, how's it working out for you? Because maybe I need to readdress my belief or my thoughts or my process or the way. Th if I keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, we all know what that's called, right? Insanity. That's one of the definitions of insanity. So what do we do? Okay, let's go back to Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2 is clear for us. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I underline this one word in here for a reason. Because I think this is something a lot of times we'll miss this. Whom for the joy set before him endured the cross. Did you know that Jesus' journey to the cross was marked with joy, not because he was uh, uh, interested in pain. In fact, we see in the garden before he died, him crawling out to God the Father and saying, if there's any other way to do it, let's do it that way. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wasn't looking forward to being ripped to pieces, but he did it out of obedience, but he had joy. And when we read the scripture, it can be confusing. Okay, so Jesus had joy on the cross? He scorned its shame because of joy, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God because of joy. And this is the rest of it. This is the message that I think we have to grab a hold of to walk in the impossible with God. And it's simply this, how much he truly loves us. He loves us so much that his journey to the cross was marked with joy. Do you know why? If you go to the Greek word for joy, let's go to the next slide. It's the word kara, and, and you almost have to kind of like, like kara, you know, like to say it right. Like, if you have to spit after you say that word, you've pronounced it pretty well. That word is translated joy in Hebrews 12 too. But if you look at the original language, it's actually the joy of knowing you. Let that just sink in for just a second. In fact, let's leave that up there for just a second. So the, the actual verse in the original Greek language says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, whom for the joy of knowing you set before him, endured the cross. The joy of knowing you is what allowed Jesus to look forward to what was going to happen as he laid his life down. Man, God is crazy about you. God is absolutely crazy about you. Jesus is so in love with you that when you fix your eyes on him, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see him saying, hey, this is how much I love you. This is my joy in knowing you. That we have a God who loves us so much that he had joy in dying because he could then enter in relationship with us. The joy of knowing you. God is nuts about you. 
You know, when, 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 when you get to heaven and you say, God, God, hey, show me a picture of your favorite kid. He's going to pull out his wallet and a billion pictures are going to, and your picture is going to be right there. He's got an 8 by 10 of you on his mantle. He's got a picture on you on the screen of his iPhone. He brags about you. He says, hey, angels, check him out. He's my favorite. She's my favorite. Somebody look at somebody next to you and just say, you're God's favorite. Do it. Now, whoever said that to you, you look back at them and say, I know. <laughs> say, I'm God's favorite. He just tells you that you are when I'm not around. <laughs> just kidding. God is crazy in love with you. You see, why is that important? There's a, there's a point to all this, and I'm going to bring it all together right here. A picture of how much God loves us. How many of us, you know, we come to worship and we think we're offering God this amazing gift and it's just beautiful? And we are, and it is. But do, have you ever stopped to think about what's on the other side of that worship experience? Zephaniah 317 talks about that. Zephaniah 317 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. God takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Did you ever stop to think that when you're up here and you're worshiping God, God is actually singing about his love over you? That when we're worshiping and we're singing out of our heart this expression of love to God, it's simply an echo of the song that he already sang over us because he loves us. Pastor Christoph, I saw something amazing here in the front row during worship. I was sitting there worshiping with my wife, and I saw your son Jude run up to you during worship, and you bent down. Kissed him right on the lips. It was, and it lit his eyes up, and then he went just like this. I mean, he loved the kiss. He just like the saliva, you know. And then he ran back over to you later, and you picked him up, and you, he, just, he just snuggled into your neck there, and you just worshiped while he was just hugging on daddy. And you know, when I saw that happen, and God said to me, that's exactly what I'm doing to all you guys right now. He said, you guys are worshiping, you're running to me, but I'm bending down to get, just kiss you, to just bless you. And wherever you are, you might be in here just say, God, I'm exhausted. And he's saying, let me pick you up and let me just love on you. That's what worship is. Why? Because he's crazy about you. Because he's passionate about you. Because he rejoices over you with singing. That is so important for us to grab a hold of. You know what I think? I think that a lot of times we settle for less than God's best for our life. We'll call that sin. Uh, because we lose sight of how much he truly loves us. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. What did, what did uh, Satan have to do before he could get Adam and Eve to sin? First, he had to convince them that God had held out on them. The Bible tells us they were created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that they were, per they were without sin. What did Satan say to them? Hey, eat this tree and you will be like God. They were as like God as any human being is ever going to get before the blood of Jesus. They were in his, created in his image and had not sinned. Yet Satan had to come to them and say, hey, guess what? There's more. God is holding out on you. And if he can get us to believe that we're not loved enough, that God has given us every perfect thing in Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ, Colossians chapter 1, 3, I think, said that. then we start to settle for less than God's bed for our life. But that's the order. First, Satan has to somehow try to get us convinced that God is holding out on us. 
And if he can do that, then we start to settle for less than God's best for our life. Let's look at one last thing here. You remember the temptation of Jesus? Matthew 4 tells us that he went, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, uh, tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I bet. It says this, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Leave that there for me. I think it's interesting that to, to, to overcome sin, because Jesus could be tempted as a man, he said that the victory over sin comes in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why didn't he just say that, that it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but, uh, but on the words of God? He, he says every word. Why is that important? Because Satan left out a word. You see, he said, when Satan approached Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, then do this. Jesus said, hey, you left out a word. And I live on that word. And I live on that word so much that I don't need to settle for this bread to prove anything to you. And what is that word? Well, how does God refer to Jesus versus how Satan referred to Jesus? Let's go, you have to back up to Matthew chapter 3. At the baptism of Jesus, we hear the voice of God shout from heaven. And what does he say? Let's look at Matthew chapter 3 real quick. He says, Matthew 3, 17. Come on, next one. There you go. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Satan described Jesus. He said, if you're the Son of God, and Jesus said, hold on a second. If you're going to quote my daddy, don't misquote him. He said, I am the beloved Son. And because I am the beloved Son, I don't have to settle for sin. Every word. Every word. One word. One simple little misquote, right? One simple little mistake. Jesus said, I'm not settling for less than knowing that I am the beloved so if you're going to address me the way my daddy addresses me, you got to include the word beloved. Beloved. Because I am the beloved of God. And in knowing that, I don't have to settle for this bread when I can get so much more from my intimacy with the word of God. You want to find victory over that storm in your life, over that sin struggle, over that addiction? Grab a hold of the truth that God says you are his Beloved. Beloved. In 1 Samuel, we read about that little king named David. We read about him before he becomes king. We read about him challenging the Philistine giant, right? Challenging the big dude, Goliath, right? This little kid gets in front of Goliath, and he talks some serious trash. He does. He calls him out. He says, listen, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who you defiled. You're going down. He says, this day the Lord will hand you into, over your head over to me. He says, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Listen, if you're going to pick a fight with somebody that much bigger than you, you might not want to charge them up by talking a lot of trash. Amen. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear, that the Lord saves. 
For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. I love what, that it says that. We all know what happened next, right? Boom, pow. There you go. I love the fact that David wasn't like looking for a sniper position behind a tree. It says that he ran towards the giant to meet him after talking all this junk to him. What giant is in your life right now? Some of us are so afraid to even mention it that we're avoiding it, and God is saying, no, you got me on your side. You can talk trash to that thing. Beloved, what could get a teenage kid so amped up and confident in the power of his God? I'm going to tell you, David grew up. David grew up being told, David, do the dishes. David, take care of the sheep. David, clean up dinner. David, load the dishwasher. He probably didn't hear that. David, do this. David, do that. David, do this. You know, by the time David had gotten to his teenage years, he had heard his name over and over and over again. Well, you look at the Hebrew language, and the word David means beloved. I'll tell you one thing David heard his entire life is that he's beloved. He is the beloved. And I think by the time he was a teenager, he had already killed a lion. He had already killed a bear. You know why? Because he was convinced that he was loved by God. And it doesn't matter what's on the other side. When we realize who we are in Christ, we say, you got no chance. I'm the beloved. It's done. It's over. I'm going to ask you, beloved, do we believe that today? It's time for some of us to stop talking to God about how big the giants are in our life and start talking to the giants in our life about how big our God is. Beloved, would you guys just stand up with me right now? Would everybody just stand? I'm going to ask the band to come up. Just right now, grab a hold of that thought. The band's going to come up. We're going to worship. We're going to sing this song. And you know, this song is just, I heard, we heard it right before the message. And it says, give me faith to trust what you say. Just right where you are. In fact, just close your eyes right now where you are. Don't worry, I'm not going to run up to you and do anything crazy or pick your pocket. Just close your eyes, avoid distraction. That's what that's about. Just close your eyes, avoid distraction. If you're touching somebody next to you, your boyfriend, girlfriend, just, just stop. Just, just get in a moment with just you and God. I don't want our focus to be anywhere other than what Jesus wants to do right this second. I'm just going to ask you something, beloved. There's giants in all of our lives. You know why? Because we are called to grab a hold of the promised land. And there are giants in the promised land. The reality, though, is they don't stand a chance. Because we have a God who has already given us the promised land. And he's inviting us to step out of the boat and walk in the impossible. And there is one thing that will keep us in the boat or keep us in the water. It is when we aren't convinced that we are the beloved. In some areas of my life, it's very easy to have that con conviction and belief. In other areas of my life, it's, I'm still growing in that, just like you. I'm not here over you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to call you to do anything that I'm not calling myself to do tonight because I believe the Holy Spirit has a word for all of us tonight. And it is this, that we are God's beloved. And I simply want to invite you to do something. Whatever giant it is you're facing, whatever woods are racing at you in your life right now, I want you just to stop for a second and think about the grace and the love of God that is all around you. 
because he's inviting you, beloved. He's saying, let go of the jet ski. Let go of it and just fall into my love tonight. And I'm going to invite you to do something really bold. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to say this to God. God, in that area of my life, would you show me a picture right now of the way you see me? I'm tired of the way I see me. Lord, right now, I invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to impress in my mind, impress in my heart a picture of what you see when you rejoice over me with singing. What is in me that would cause you to, to, to be so excited that you sing over me? Lord, would you show me myself the way you see me as we worship? Trust what you say, cause you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside, I give you my life. Your spirit strong in me. 